spending time in fellowship. And even like last week afterwards when we came out for morning tea, it was just like the spirit of community. Last week um, on Sunday night, we had dinner together and just sat out under the undercover area there. And there's just just awesome vibe of just people introducing themselves to each other, hanging out together. And it's a bit strange that, like we said last week, we're, we're spending some time talking about what does it mean to be a family as a church, to be friends. And one practice or way to do that is just by eating together. And it's so simple, but it's something that's kind of been lost. We can kind of neglect or we can even just not realize its significance, actually just sitting down and eating together, breaking bread together. It says in Acts 2, that was a really high priority for the early church. It's actually really significant. It actually grows us together. We actually share life over the table, and we actually become more and more this community that God wants us to be. We don't just come to a building, but we do life together. We share life together. Like Josh was saying, we, we encourage each other. We support each other. And the only way to do that is actually to know each other and part, a really good way to do that is to eat together. So we're going to kind of keep building on that this week and talking about this idea of, well, what should our gatherings be characterized by? What should they look like? What should they be like? And one word to describe them, again, we see in the early church and we see throughout, throughout Scripture we're going to look at today, is joy. That actually when we eat together, when we gather even for, for church, um, it's actually a celebration. And actually celebration and joy and delight are really central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus and also to what it means to be a a community of people who follow Jesus in his kingdom. That were people who celebrate and are characterized by joy. Now, we're going to talk about the fact that, like again, like what Josh said earlier, like we don't want to be people who are fake. And we don't want to be people who deny the darkness and the sadness and the reality that Many people in our society today struggle with anxiety, struggle with depression, face major difficult circumstances, and that's no different in the church, right? Like, and, and you may be here today and you just barely got here. You may not be going well, and we're so glad that you're here. And we want this to be a place of authenticity and of um, honesty and support. But we also want it to be a place where we grow to be people characterized by joy, And how do those two things go together? We're going to kind of look at that as we go. But to start with, I just want to give you some, I guess, some reasons why joy is so important. Why this is actually needs to be a high value, needs to characterize our gatherings even, and is actually something that we're to be growing in and growing towards. Then we'll look at a practice and and some of the issues around um, how do we do that without being fake and so forth. So I just want to start with some reasons, um, and then, then we'll look at some different scriptures and go from there. So I might pray. And then we'll get started. So, Father, we just thank you, yeah, just for the songs that we've been singing, for who you are, for your creation, um, that we sing for joy at the work of your hands, um, that you have even come to save us and redeem us. Um, And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your nature. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak powerfully um, to us individually and as a community um, and just lead us in the way that you want us to go. We just pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. So firstly, I'm going to give you three reasons. Why joy? Why why, why want this to be an important value as a church? The first thing, you may not have thought of this before, is that God is actually the most joyful being there is. God is the most joyful person there is. You think about, even as we're just singing about, about the creation, about all the things that God has made. Like maybe you've been to somewhere that's just spectacular, 
and you're just overwhelmed by the beauty of it. Um, when Tam and I got married, we went to Queenstown, and it's just so beautiful in New Zealand, just the mountains, the, the lake. It's just amazing, and there's just this joy. And you think, that came from God. Like, he made that. Like, he made the stars. He made the galaxies. And more than that, Dallas Willard talks about how God constantly sees these things. Like, you may have been in a place before where you've seen something amazingly beautiful and you're just overwhelmed with joy. Like, God is there now. He sees it now. He sees it all the time. And it's true that he also sees the sorrows and, and the, the, the dark places of the world. We're going to sort of talk about that. But he sees the good things. Maybe you've even like being overwhelmed at the, the creative, like a song that you've heard that just brings so much joy. God hears it all the time. Like, like he is the most joyful being there is. And scripture enforces this as well. Um, even Jesus, sometimes we don't really necessarily think of Jesus as joyful. We, we sung about he's the man of sorrows, but he's also the man of joy. There's this verse in Psalm 45. It's actually quoted in Hebrews about Jesus as well. It says this, You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. That's in the New Living Translation. Other translations say the oil of gladness above your companions. This idea that God has anointed Jesus to have more joy than anybody else. And he's the man of sorrows, but he's also the man of joy. And it's, it's interesting, right? That's, we're not, I'm not really going to preach out of John 2. sort of just using that story as an example even of Jesus' joy. Like Jesus went to parties and weddings and celebrated. And at this particular wedding where the couple have run out of wine, potentially because they're poor, which would have had major social consequences, Jesus just turns the water into wine. Like Jesus goes to a party and the wine runs out. It's going to destroy the party. He does a miracle so the party can keep going. John Driver sent me this this week, which is kind of a cool picture. <laughs> Thought you guys might like that. John liked that. And that's, do we think about that though, really? Like, like Jesus turned water into wine. Like, this, this is at a wedding. Like, it's easy just to read the story without really picturing ourselves there. But, like, imagine what would have, that would have been like at that party. Imagine how much how much like nervousness and, and confusion there would have been without the wine, it's running out. And now there's this abundance of wine that's even better. You just imagine how much joy came from that for that couple, for, for Jesus' followers. The last, towards the end of that passage, it says, he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. It's like Jesus brings the best wine. He just takes this, this simple thing like water and turns it into and just continues the celebration. And Jesus is, like we said, he is constantly at meals celebrating with people, eating with people, going to weddings. So much so that he got this reputation of drinking too much and eating too much. And again, he didn't do that. He didn't eat too much or drink too much, but he got that reputation. He would go and eat. And he ate with sinners. He ate with people that you shouldn't eat with. And he would celebrate and announce God's kingdom and God's reign. And it's interesting that Jesus, I don't know if we often think of this, as Jesus as being really joyful. Even um, 
sometimes we can read the Gospels and so forth, and we read like someone got healed or, or um, their sight restored or something, but just imagine what like celebration there would be if that happened. Like imagine the days it says when, when they brought all their sick to Jesus and they healed them. Imagine there's like hundreds of sick people just healed. Like how much just cheering and partying and clapping and just celebration there would be in that situation. It would just be amazing to be there and to see that. But at the same time, right, so he, he is the man of sorrows, but also of joy. This is how Henry Nouwen describes Jesus in this way. He says, the divine joy does not obliterate the divine sorrow. In our world, joy and sorrow exclude each other. So you're either joyful or you're sad, one or the other. Here below, joy means the absence of sorrow and sorrow the absence of joy. But such distinctions do not exist in God. Jesus, the son of God, is the man of sorrows, but also the man of complete joy. He holds them both. And we could even argue that joy is the primary. The sorrow, the sadness, is because of the brokenness, because of what's been lost, is because it's not right, it's not how it should be. Joy is like the, the main category, and the sadness is because things are not right. So firstly, we, we, we are called to joy because God is actually joyful. He's the most joyful being there is. Secondly, we need joy to get by especially to get through difficult, hard things. And again, this was even true for Jesus. There's this passage in Hebrews. It says this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is, is, is celebrating with people, announcing the kingdom of God, but his whole life is in the shadow of the cross. And he goes to the cross, motivated, out of love, but also motivated knowing the joy that will come as a result of following his father, of, of defeating evil, of, of winning salvation, of his people, the creation, all things being made new. There's this joy that allows Jesus to endure the most darkest, most evil thing that's ever happened and overcome it. And it's the same for us, that we have to go through difficult things and joy is actually often the thing that gets us through. It's actually a hope of getting out the other side. Richard Foster quotes, he, he describes this and, and the importance of joy to, to endure. He said, we cannot continue long in anything without it, without joy. Women endure childbirth because of the joy of motherhood lies on the other side. Young married couples struggle through the first difficult years of adjustment because they value the insurance of a long life together. And I love this last one. Parents hold steady through the teen years, knowing that their children will emerge at the other end, human once again. <laughs> I feel like maybe he had teenagers when he was writing this or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, but his point, right, is that as, as we go through difficult things, and the same way when you're learning something, when you start something new, when you have to just go through a difficult season, it's often there needs to be some joy. There needs to be some joy at the end. There needs to be a hope. If there's just nothing, it's so hard to endure. We need it to get by. And lastly, God actually desires us to become people characterized by joy like him. We are image bearers of God. If God is the most joyful being there is, we are to reflect him and to be joyful. 
And this is, this is this continual growth to be more and more like Jesus, that we actually become people characterized by joy. Again, Jesus described this in John's gospel in chapter 15. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Jesus' desire is for us to be like him, to follow the Father, to follow him. That's where there's life. And then he says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus is full of joy. That, and, and, and his point, right, is that actually following God, God's way, Jesus' way, his commands are actually the pathway to joy and life. And Jesus has walked that path and he wants us to have joy and life and calls us to follow him. And he, his, his, his desire is that this joy may be complete. Um, the message translates it may be wholly mature. This is not like a, just a surface level kind of happiness or a feeling we're talking about, but actually a shaping of our hearts to be characterized in a deep way with joy. Not just a fleeting emotional happiness that kind of comes and goes, but a deep characterization. John Mark Comer puts it this way. John, joy isn't just an emotion. It's an overall condition of the heart. So we're not just talking about how we feel. We're talking about our will, our, our emotions, our thoughts, our general disposition. Is the, the goal, right, is that we grow to be people who are characterized by joy in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of sadness, but still joy. So that's just some reasons to pursue this, to talk about this, to say, actually, this is a value to, to, to the Father, to Jesus, as a part of following Jesus. But you may still think, well, that still doesn't help me much because how do we do that? And maybe you've been in places before or in churches before, around people before, where because of the pressure to be joyful, we deny our circumstances or we deny our feelings. We just repress and put on a face and put on an act and we say, well, we're meant to be joyful, we're meant to be happy, we're meant to be nice, let's just do it. And we just deny reality. And we know that that's not a good option. That's, that's not a good way forward. But I think sometimes we can see that and we go so far the other direction and we say we value authenticity and we value being real and we value being honest. So we want to be honest about how we're feeling and we're feeling really afraid or really anxious or depressed. And, and that's really good to be honest and there's power in vulnerability. But sometimes, and I think particularly sort of today, we can easily think that we are what we feel and what we feel defines us or what we feel is where we're stuck and we just, however we feel, that's, that's, that's where we're at. But what we're talking about is how do we not be fake but not just be at the mercy of our circumstances or at the mercy of our emotions, but actually grow on this path of becoming joyful people. Not fake, not enslaved, but growing in joy. And what practice can we embrace to do that so that this is authentic, this is real, it's not fake, but it is possible. There's this, this guy who's written this book, I'm basing a lot of this on, called Richard Foster, called The, the Celebration of Discipline. And it's this idea of actually we have a will and we can choose things. We, we feel things, but we can even respond to our emotions. 
We can, we can choose particularly what we think. We can't really choose how we feel. You sort of can't will yourself into joy, but we can still respond to our circumstances, our emotions, especially with our thoughts, especially with our actions. And then at the last chapter, he talks about the discipline of celebration. And you hear those two words and you think those two words just don't go together, right? Like discipline and celebration. It's like that doesn't sound right, but it's profound. His point is that actually celebrating is a choice. It's an act of the will that we actually choose to do in order to grow as people who are characterized by joy. So a discipline is something that you choose to do and you make a habit of it. And celebration is, is the act of having joy and delight and celebrating. And the interesting thing is that this is, in the New Testament, right, is commanded. Like multiple times in the New Testament, in the whole scripture, we are told to rejoice. We're told to have joy, be joyful. In the Old Testament, there was feasts and celebrations that they were commanded to have and to celebrate together. And you sort of think, well, how do you do that? Because if we can't make ourselves be joyful, how can we be told to rejoice and told to celebrate? This is one example. We're going to look through Philippians 4. From verse 4, this is Paul writing, God speaking to the church of Philippi and to us, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. He, he tells them two times, right, in the one sentence, to rejoice. And again, this is a church in difficult situations, lots of reasons to not rejoice, but Paul tells them rejoice. And you sort of think, how? How, how do you do that? Because you don't want to go fake, but if we're afraid or if we're anxious, if we're struggling for legitimate reasons, like, how do we do that? The Foster says this, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. So he's saying, actually, we can control our mind. Our will can choose what we think about. That is why celebration is a discipline. It's not something that falls on our heads. It's the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. And often we can think of joy or happiness kind of like that, right? It's just sort of, it just drops on you. All of a sudden, you're happy, or all of a sudden, you're joyful. I think particularly at, at, at church, we can sometimes think like that, like, like God will just zap us and we'll have joy, and, or, or the Holy Spirit will just fill us and we'll have joy, and that, that happens. But that's not really the goal necessarily. The goal is that we grow to be characterized by joy. And he says this is actually a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. Actually, our will can respond to our circumstances and emotions and go in a certain direction. But again, right, how? How do we do that? And Paul in Philippians 4 basically gives some keys. We're going to go through three steps of actions that we can take that grow us and shape us and position us to, over time, grow slowly in this direction. The first one, he says, after the command to joy, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And again, you sort of think, well, how do we do that? Like, if you're anxious, you tell someone not to be anxious, that's really hard. When you tell someone anxious to be joyful, it's like, well, now I'm not joyful, now I'm anxious about the fact that I'm not joyful, and then you just get worse and worse. Like, like it doesn't help. But his point, right, is, is not just like, knock it off, don't be anxious. His point is the same way Jesus says, don't worry about your life. 
Jesus, he, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Other, other guys translate or talk about this as anxious care. Um, this, is, this is worry. Um, and the idea of when we're anxious is often linked to control. We, need, we wanted to control a situation, a circumstance. When we're anxious, we kind of constrict. The space is close. There's, there's tension. And we're full of care. We're anxious and we're, and we're full of care. Foster talks about how you can't celebrate when you're full of anxious care. To celebrate is there's this lightness. There's a, there's a spring in the step. That there's, the joy can only come when there's that, that space. And the first step is actually to rid ourselves of anxious care, to, to let go of it. And again, this is a conscious choice to release control. Anxiety, when we feel anxious, the, the, the pull of our emotions is to control, but the response is actually let go of anxious care, actually let go of control. Actually, remember, we can't control much, God can. And like Jesus, Jesus says, look at the birds. Remember, God looks after them. Look at the flowers. Remember, God looks after them and, and let go and open. Again, that's not easy. That's very difficult, but it's, it's, it's an act of the will. Paul keeps going. He says, But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, After we say, Do not be anxious, then in every situation, pray, open to God, ask God, and be characterized by thanksgiving. So after we rid ourselves of anxious care, we pray. We, we, we open ourselves to God. We remember who he is. Ask for what we need and give thanks for the things that he's given. And as we focus and give thanks to him, again, that can shift our emotional disposition. Because when our mind is just focused on all the problems, all the issues, control, that's, we're not going to be joyful. When we say, actually, God's in control. Actually, I can ask him for what I need. And actually, he's already given me this, and he's given me this, and he's blessed me with this, and thank you, Father, for this. And then it can start to lift this lightness that this joy can come. Then Paul finishes with, again, the mind. He says, firstly, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Saying anything, right? Any of these good things that you can see, think about them. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, that's Paul, or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He's saying actually do these things, put them into practice and God will be with you. What he's saying is with our minds, actually intentionally use our will to focus our minds on the good. Actually look and see the things around us in our lives that are true, noble, right, pure. Again, things to give thanks for. And again, this right is, is a discipline. It's, and it requires a lot of discipline. I don't think thinking about negative things requires much discipline. Uh, it's very easy to get up in the morning and think about all the problems with the world, all the problems with our life, turn on the news and be reminded by more. Like it's, it's, that's not hard. But to see the good things that are happening, to see the ways God's moving in, in small, hidden ways in our lives or in other people's lives, that takes discipline. But there'll be things there. Maybe even the last week, 
you think, well, actually God came through on this one thing. Or actually there was this one moment with my spouse that was just beautiful. Or there was this one close interaction with my friend that I just really appreciated. Or there was this one thing that went well at work. Out of 100 things that went bad, but one thing went well. And we focus on that and actually see that and give thanks for that. Paul's actually saying focus intentionally on the good. And I think particularly as we talk in this series about um, community, about as a church being more of a family, eating around the table, there's a danger that we start to think, well, this is just going to be awesome. Like, we're going to eat together. We're going to be in each other's homes. We're going to be a family. We're going to hang out together, and it's just going to be amazing. We're going to share our possessions. We're just going to love each other. And then two weeks in, this person's had this fight with this person. This person's taken this person's stuff. This person hasn't returned this. Like, then it's just bad, and we say, oh, that's it. Like, it doesn't work. It's too hard. Like, we have this, this vision, and it gets shattered by the reality that actually all of us are still broken in church. Actually, there's still a whole lot of problems in church. Actually, people are going to hurt each other. That's why it's such a high value on forgiveness, because so much forgiveness is going to be needed. Like, that, it's not going to be this awesome vision. There's actually going to be a whole lot of problems. But what we can choose to do is in each other focus on the good. Actually see the light in each other actually see the gifts of each other, actually give thanks for each other. Because it's easy, especially right as you, as you grow close to each other, it's easy to see each other's problems and faults and weaknesses. Again, it takes discipline to see the strengths, to see the blessings, to see the gifts, and to call them out. But there's power in that. Graham Cook talks about this idea of church and friendships. He says, we can build friendships only on appreciation, appreciating each other. We cannot build them on disapproval or dissatisfaction. We must actively look for signs of appreciation in one another and learn to enjoy the people around us. Bonhoeffer talks about this as well. He says we get disillusioned with church, but the right response is actually give thanks for the, to God for the people who he's given us. Give thanks and recognize that actually we're bonded through Jesus. Jesus is in our midst. We give thanks for the people he's given us. And we actively look for ways to appreciate one another. So this is true in our lives, but I think particularly true as a community. How do we actually be a community characterized by joy? It's only going to be through practicing these steps. This discipline of celebration. The pathway. Let go of anxious care. Pray. Ask. Give thanks. Be characterized by gratitude to God. There's so much to thank God for. Focus on the good in our lives, in the world. In, in our community. And again, this does not at all mean denying the darkness. It does not at all mean that we say there's no problems, everything's all good. No. If anything, we're more free to acknowledge just how bad things are and actually be real. Because the, 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 the fakeness is a step back, step forward to be honest. We have to be honest, especially letting go of anxious care. Like one step in some ways is actually just saying, actually, I'm really anxious. Just acknowledging that is a step forward to letting go of it. If it's repressed, you can't let go of it. You have to acknowledge it, let go of it, and then move forward. But, but acknowledging it even can be difficult. But th this is a path forward. It does not mean that we deny the dark darkness, but we celebrate the light. That passage in, at the start of the Philippians passage, Eugene Peterson translates it, instead of rejoice, celebrate. Celebrate God all day, every day. And again, celebrate is often with other people. 
around a table. We're eating, we're sharing in each other's homes. We're going to the park and celebrate. So one thing that, that you can do this week, maybe, and again, as, as we have morning tea today, we're going to have dinner again tonight. Maybe if you're in a connect group, or if you join a connect group, you can do this or just, or just with the friends or people that you're around is actually just this week or, or plan something where you celebrate and have a party together in God's presence. Actually, in, enjoy food, enjoy the gifts of God and, and celebrate and, and, and have fun and have joy and delight with Him and the people around us because God's kingdom is, 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 when it comes in fullness, will come as a wedding, as a party. And Jesus celebrated this while He was here. So that's one practice of sort of how, how can we do this together. So as we finish, we're going we're gonna to head into um, communion as we respond. But again, I just want to leave you with a quote um, and a verse. And acknowledge again that what we're talking about is not repressing the, the evil in the world, not denying the sadness and the grief, but working through it and focusing and, and the discipline of still celebrating and still seeing joy in the midst of it. There's this beautiful quote by Henry Now, and he says this to describe that tension. He says, people who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself, and that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. It's so easy to live in darkness. He's saying, we choose not to live it. We acknowledge it. We choose not to live in it. He says, they point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but very real presence of God. Like, imagine if that characterized our community here, that in our discussions, they, that we don't first or always go to the problems in the world or the problems in our lives, but we point to flashes of light here and there. We, we point to the little ways God's moving in our lives and in our community and we remind each other that actually we carry God's presence. Jesus is with us. He says that people who discover the joy of God discover that there are people who heal each other's wounds, forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they've received, and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God's glory. Again, that sounds like the passage we read last week. This, this church family of forgiveness, of sharing, of community, of celebration, and that that's the direction to go in, and that it is possible. And there are people like that. And there will be problems, and there will be brokenness, and there will be disappointment. But there is light. There is joy. There is hope. God is present, and He is working. And as we come to take communion, we, we remember Jesus, the, the man of complete joy, but the man of sorrows who went to the cross. And as the, the, the night before he was betrayed, he, he sets this meal. Again, Jesus invites us to this meal with his followers. And he takes the bread and the wine and he breaks it and he says, this is his body, this is his blood, given that we may enter his kingdom, that we will be able to celebrate and, and have joy and, and party with him for eternity. And then he says this in Luke 22, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And as we take communion today, 
we take stock, we come back to God, we, we, we realign ourselves with Him. Maybe we need to acknowledge sin or weakness or ask forgiveness. But today, we look forward to that day Jesus is talking about. And say, He's waiting for that day when the kingdom of God will come, when evil will be done away with, the darkness will be dispelled, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more suffering. There'll be peace, there'll be joy, there'll be God's presence. And that's what he's invited us to. And right now that's, that's here, but not yet, but it's coming. And we rejoice in that. So as, as you take this, remember that that's, that's where everything is heading. And we're gonna respond. Um, so I might invite the helpers to come up and then I'll pray. Um, after that, we'll take an uh, offering as well. And again, the, the New Testament talks about the joy of giving. Um, it's more blessed to give than to receive. God loves the joyful giver. That joy is to characterize our giving and our generosity and our sharing as well. So f- feel free if you'd like to give, you can as well. So I'm going to pray. Uh, maybe if we can just get another couple of helpers just up to this one as well. Thanks very much. Jesus, we just thank you that you are just full of joy and delight yet would endure such sorrow and sadness for us. Um, and we just pray, Father, that your vision for your church, your people, um, would just be growing in us, um, that we would be the people that you've bought with your blood. We would be the people that host your presence and reflect you to the world. And Lord, we just pray that in our individual lives and in our community, would you grow us in joy, even in the midst of sorrow and sadness. And Father, we just pray that we'd be this place of forgiveness and life and healing, authenticity, yet growing in joy and freedom. And just pray particularly, Father, for today, for any who are anxious and sad, Lord, we just pray your presence and your peace, um, your grace in our midst. Um, So would you meet with us now as we take communion, Lord, and we just offer ourselves to you in your name. Amen.